Welcome to Kelly Dry's Full Spectrum Podcast, bringing together thought leaders in the technology, media, and telecommunications industries to discuss legal issues that are expected to impact today's organizations and tomorrow's marketplace. Kelly Dry Full Spectrum is produced twice monthly, and show notes are available at www.kellydryfullspectrum.com. For more in-depth commentary, head to our blog, comlawmonitor.com. All links are in the show notes. This podcast is produced by the Kelly Dry Communications Practice Group. Welcome. I'm Steve Augustino, a partner in the Communications Practice Group of Kelly Dry and Warren. It's my pleasure to be with you today for our next installment of our regular series examining developments and trends in FCC enforcement. This episode discusses cases from November 2016 through the beginning of January 2017. Our episode covers actions by the Enforcement Bureau ahead of the change in administrations that will be brought upon by the inauguration of President Trump. In fact, as we record this, we're only one day before the inauguration, and while a lot of FCC transition has not been announced, significant changes in FCC enforcement personnel and practices are expected. As a result, this episode chronicles the last actions of the FCC Enforcement Bureau led by Travis LeBlanc. So with apologies to the poet Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, this episode could affectionately be titled The Midnight Ride of Travis LeBlanc. Those who've been following my commentary on FCC enforcement matters know that in my view, the single most important change under the leadership of Travis LeBlanc has been a shift from rules-based enforcement to principles-based enforcement. The Enforcement Bureau for the past two years has been much more likely to base its enforcement on broad principles in a statute, notably the just and reasonable standard of Section 201B. This has characterized most of the headline-grabbing enforcement actions of the past few years on data security, open internet disclosures, wireless billing, and prepaid calling marketing claims, for example. LeBlanc has coupled this principles-based enforcement approach with generous interpretations of the number of violations that occurred, of the statute of limitations, and of the base forfeitures that are applied, all of which have made enforcement actions in the tens of millions of dollars much more commonplace. So much of this is expected to change in the next couple of months. But for now, a figurative few minutes before midnight, the LeBlanc Enforcement Bureau has doubled down on this legacy of aggressive principle-based enforcement. Our first item to talk about today is zero rating of wireless plans. Now, technically, this is not an Enforcement Bureau item. The Wireless Bureau has been handling and taking the lead on this, but the Enforcement Bureau has had significant input into these actions. The FCC has been investigating zero-rated data plans offered by AT&T and by Verizon most recently. Now, both of these plans involve, to some degree, Uh, zero rating of services that are offered by AT&T or by Verizon. For example, uh, the ability to watch AT&T subsidiary DirecTV service uh, without incurring your data uh, plan limits under the AT&T plan. So there's been a public exchange of letters related to this zero rated plans in November and December uh, released by the FCC, released by AT&T and Verizon, very, very um, high profile investigations. In those letters, the Enforcement Bureau and the Wireless Bureau express its serious concerns that both plans violate the general conduct standard established in the open internet rules. 
Now, ultimately, no enforcement action has been taken, despite the very public denunciation of the plans by the FCC. Even in the existence of these investigations has been symptomatic of the principles-based enforcement approach, as there are no cleared guidelines as to which zero-rated plans are or are not permissible under the open internet rules. The investigation, and particularly the public way in which they were conducted, has drawn the ire of the two Republican members of the commission, so it's been very controversial going through these last couple of months here. Ultimately, as I said, the FCC took no formal action in those two cases. Um, They did release on January 11th, however, a draft framework for analyzing such plans. And this draft framework singled out the AT&T and Verizon plans while blessing T-Mobile's binge-on plan, which was a similar zero-rated data plan but it involved third-party services and not any T-Mobile-affiliated services. This draft framework was released, but it was promptly denounced by Commissioner Pai, who is expected to become uh, interim chairman, if not uh, permanent chairman, very soon. And so as a result, it doesn't appear that this draft framework has the support of the Republicans that will be on the commission come January 20th, And therefore, it's not expected that this draft framework is going to have any significant impact once the Trump administration begins. Now, separate from the zero-rated wireless plans, the uh, FCC has also taken a look at its major universal service programs. In this instance, in the last couple of months, Travis LeBlanc seems to be checking all the boxes of the major universal service programs before the end of the year. We saw attention-grabbing headlines in April of 2015 with a Lifeline NAL. We saw similar headlines in July of 2016 with an E-rate-related NAL. Now, in the last two months of 2016, we see major NALs in the other two funds of the Universal Service Fund, the High Cost Fund and the Rural Healthcare Fund. In the High Cost area, The NAL was released against a company called Sandwich Isles Telecom. It's a Hawaii-based telecom company that provides service to Hawaiian homelands in that state. Uh, This is the first major action under the high-cost fund, and the FCC acknowledges that. Uh, The company itself and its owner have been under investigation, and the owner himself was, in fact, indicted for a number of uh, activities that are related to this and has since been convicted. So the fact that there was an investigation really was not too much of a surprise here. Um, However, there are some interesting aspects of what the FCC has chosen to do and what it alleges in the NAL. The NAL alleges that Sandwich Isles Telecom misclassified costs related to its cable and wire facilities, that it overstated the costs related to its lease of certain facilities necessary to provide services, Um, which it was obtaining from its affiliate, and as a result of this, that it received improper payments of more than $27 million from the high-cost fund. Now, for these violations, the commission proposes a forfeiture penalty of almost $50 million, that is $49.5 million. Separately, the FCC issues an order proposing to recover the $27 million that the NAL concludes was improperly paid. Sandwich Isles Telecom has filed a petition for reconsideration of that order, arguing, among other things, that the costs were not misallocated 
and that the FCC ignored evidence that undermined its conclusion, most notably evidence that the maximum impact of the allocations was significantly less than the $27 million that's alleged in the NEL. What I find most interesting about this enforcement action is that this action, as have many actions recently, added a paragraph in separate from the monetary penalty that uh, directs the company here, Sandwich Isles Telecom, to show cause why the FCC should not take other actions against it, most notably here why it should not initiate proceedings to revoke its authorizations, including its authorizations under Section 214 to serve the Hawaiian homelands regions. This has been something we've seen in a couple of other actions previously, and it seems to have been a major initiative of Commissioner Pai, who has suggested this in a number of cases. He specifically, in his separate statement on this action, noted that he had asked for this, complimented the other commissioners on including this in this. It seems that um, using these other enforcement powers by the commission is a significant uh, issue for Commissioner Pai. And so Sandwich Isles Telecom was ordered to show cause why it shouldn't have its authorizations revoked as a result of the conduct that's alleged in the NAL. That will play out over the next few months and will play out in an area while we're waiting for and seeing what uh, the Trump administration prioritizes here. The second action I want to talk about in universal service is very similar. It's an action under the rural health care program. Now, this is a program to support broadband services for rural health care providers, and it equalizes the cost between urban areas and rural areas for these providers. Very complex set of uh, rules that apply to this, but basically it's set up on a competitive bidding arrangement, and then the government funds the difference through the Universal Service Fund between the rural rates and the urban rates that would apply. The NAL itself makes very explosive allegations. It alleges that the company that's subject to the NAL, Network Services Solution, engaged in a number of competitive bidding violations, that it preferred certain vendors, that it provided or had access to information that other vendors didn't have, that it inflated its rural rates, that it forged and falsified documents, and that it engaged in wire fraud as a consequence of these other actions. So. Very, very detailed allegations, not the kind you typically see in an FCC enforcement action. Um, Here they propose a fine of $21 million, which is very substantial. They propose that fine both against the company, Network Services Solution, and its principal owner individually, Scott Madison. So um, here again, we see something that we've only seen a couple of times previously from the commission where they um, are breaching the, uh, piercing the corporate veil, rather, and uh, are moving towards individual liability in addition to company liability. A couple of controversial things about the the order itself. First, the FCC, in order to get to the $21 million fine, uh, relies upon a continuing violation theory relating to the filings that were made, that the underlying filings here were false, Um, that they continued to be false. So they reached back all the way to the earliest of these allegedly false filings, which is back in 2012. So it's a continuing violation theory uh, related to this. That is an area that Commissioner Pai has disagreed with very publicly 
on many occasions, and he did dissent in part in this particular instance. According to Commissioner Pai, um, for example, because of the time period that this investigation uh, extended to, the maximum fine that would be lawful was only $187,000. That's a very far cry from the $21 million that's proposed in the NAL. Secondly here, you see in this NAL, like we saw in the Sandwich Isles Telecom, a paragraph that requires the respondent network services solutions to show cause why the commission shouldn't use other enforcement powers. Here specifically, they propose the suspension by USAC of all payments to network services solutions, and they propose the revocation of the authorization. So NSS has responded uh, to this at this point, and the FCC is considering these responses. Um, that finishes out, however, all four of the FCC Universal Services programs. So as LeBlanc can look back on his legacy, he can point to major actions in all of the Universal Service areas that his uh, bureau had taken action on and areas that it had addressed. So he uh, seems to have checked all the boxes he wants to check on Universal Service. Now, uh, moving along, I want to move to one other area here um, Separate from universal service, I think there's a couple of things that are worthwhile noting in a recent action involving spectrum operations. So this is separate from the understandings of rules that were established related to universal service and these other enforcement actions. Here we're talking about something that's been much more traditional FCC enforcement. You have a spectrum license. The entity has an obligation to build out under those spectrum licenses. Um, very common obligation, very clear obligation. But in this instance, the FCC took an action against the company for allegedly not building out or for falsifying its uh, showings that it had made a substantial uh, build out of its services. This case, once again, involves a self-disclosure by the company, but nevertheless one which resulted in a substantial penalty for the company that came forward and voluntarily disclosed. Um, that's an issue I've commented on in other time periods, and I, I have continue to have concerns with how much the FCC credits a company who voluntarily discloses to the agency an issue or a problem that they have, uh, have identified. In this instance, this is a company called Straight Path Communications, and Straight Path had um, discovered, according to the factual history here, had a, received a report in November of 2015 that its substantial service showings were based on fraudulent misrepresentations. So in 2015, the company hired a law firm to conduct an independent investigation. That investigation found many instances in which the equipment that was relied upon to show build-out either was not installed at all or had been installed, but apparently was only installed for a short time period because when they conducted the investigation according to the the document, um, the equipment was not still located in the place where it allegedly had been installed. So it seems it had been moved um, at some time. This investigation ultimately led to a consent decree, which was released about a week ago in early January of 2017, in which the company Straight Path Communications settled these investigations and allegations that it had failed to build out its, uh, its two licenses. What's significant about this, or what's sort of attention-grabbing about the settlement, is that the company agrees to pay $100 million, according to the press release, in order to settle this case. But when you look deeper 
into it, there's really a catch here. Because in actuality, the $100 million fine is significantly less than that. The company agrees to pay $15 million and $85 million is suspended under the settlement. In addition to that $15 million, they agree to pay 20% of the proceeds of its sale of its Spectrum licenses. So that 20% will go into the United States Treasury. Now, we don't know how much that is, but that's very likely to be less than the $85 million that is suspended. And additionally, um, if Straight Path is not able to find someone to buy its licenses, it has the option of simply surrendering those licenses or canceling those remaining licenses in lieu of the $85 million. So while it is paying a substantial penalty, um, it is much less than the $100 million that's advertised here, or at least potentially much less than that. And I think that type of creativity that's in these consent decrees is one of the areas that many people have criticized Travis LeBlanc for, alleging that he's seeking headlines more than actual results here. And this is an area that could be criticized for that very similar thing, that it's not really a $100 million penalty. It's a significant penalty, but it potentially is far short of $100 million. So with that, those are the major actions that have occurred in the last couple of months. Um, I want to end this episode with a few thoughts of my own about the direction of FCC enforcement in the coming year. Change is certainly going to come with the Trump administration. Uh, as I said before, the FCC has not announced yet a succession plan. It's widely expected that Commissioner Pai is going to be named at least interim chair. Um, I think he has a very strong possibility of being named the permanent chair. Both Republicans, though, have criticized the FCC Enforcement Bureau very publicly for its actions in the last couple of years. And I will add that, as an aside, that they have privately expressed skepticism to me about many of the Bureau's investigations and about some of the factual allegations that support certain ones of these investigations. So there's a fair amount of skepticism, I think, from the Republicans. As they move into control, I think we're going to see then um, a number of changes in the way that enforcement is conducted. Among the key concerns of the Republicans, there really are two. First, that the enforcement actions that have been taken, those principle-based enforcement actions, have not provided adequate prior notice to regulated entities of the conduct which is required. So it's sort of a fairness argument that they haven't been given enough notice of what is prohibited or what is required before enforcement action is taken. Um, related to this is a concern that too many of these principle-based actions are really policymaking by enforcement, and that the FCC should be engaging in policy through rulemaking, not through individual adjudications. I expect that what we will see is the new Enforcement Bureau is going to walk back from many of these types of activities that have previously been taken in the last couple of years that would follow these types of concerns. So, for example, I think that we were much more likely to see enforcement only where there are clear rules or clear precedent. That's probably going to mean in the short term more focus on things like failure to pay universal service, uh, failure to report your contribution obligations properly, failure to follow the USF rules that are necessary for payments, for example. I expect that some of the more consumer protection-oriented issues that have been followed from this, uh, such as marketing areas, 
are going to be um, enforced by the FTC where the Federal Trade Commission has jurisdiction in that. And that is a separate question. We've covered that in some of our other podcasts. I encourage you to go back and take a look at that. We will see um, just exactly how extensive the FTC's enforcement area is uh, in the next couple of months. In addition, though, I expect to see some changes on procedural and legal interpretations. Um, This has been an area in particular where Commissioner O'Reilly has had concerns with the enforcement practice. Very much we're expecting to see, uh, I think, a a walk back of the interpretation of statute of limitations um, with the FCC being more conservative as to how the statute of limitations applies and how quickly they need to act. Um, We've seen those complaints, for example, about the continuing violation theory. We've talked about those in some of our episodes I don't expect to see the Enforcement Bureau rely upon the continuing violation theory in its next few enforcement actions. I also um, note that Commissioner O'Reilly has raised a number of concerns about the application of statutory criteria and the, the process by which the commission follows those. The ray of hope I have from that is he specifically has singled out the ability to pay criterion in Section 503 of the Communications Act. That's a provision that requires the FCC to consider the applicant's ability to pay a forfeiture before assessing a fine. The FCC's approach so far has, has focused on the gross revenues of the companies and used that as a surrogate for ability to pay. And this is not just in the last couple of years. This has been over 10, 15 years that they've used this standard. I believe that that standard is not really fair, particularly to resellers who have a very large amount of their uh, revenues that are tied up in payments to unaffiliated third parties. So their gross revenues in many cases significantly overstate their actual ability to pay because there's a big difference between gross revenues and gross profits. Uh, Commissioner O'Reilly has raised concerns about this, and it appears that a potential reassessment of this ability to pay standard might be forthcoming, and that may be welcome news for a number of very small resellers. Now, on the other hand, what I will say is, and I've hinted at this a couple of times in this podcast, um, where I do expect enforcement to get tougher in the near future is in use of the non-monetary enforcement powers that the FCC has, in particular use of its licensing power. Commissioner Pai has suggested repeatedly that the commission should take these actions or should at least consider these actions to revoke authorizations in light of misconduct by companies as alleged in NALs. He has been successful in getting these uh, types of show cause provisions added to many of the recent NALs. What we have not seen is the FCC taking action against the company to revoke its authorization for alleged misconduct. That potentially is something we will see in the next year or so if Commissioner Pai or a uh, similar like-minded new chairman comes into the FCC, we could potentially see actions to revoke authorizations. So that's about it for this episode. Uh, I thank you for listening. I encourage you to check back with us in the next month for another discussion of recent releases by the FCC Enforcement Bureau. Thank you. The views and ideas expressed on this program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views or ideas held by Kelly Dry and Warren LLP, its staff, or management.